Thank you for subscribing to KCWG The Truth Extra, our premium content channel. We have copies of our shows, plus exclusive content from our hosts and their guests. Also, as a subscriber, you'll be invited to participate in giveaways and events. Thank you for supporting and listening to KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio on the planet. your day man i know you had a rough one and uh i can tell you're still here so you got through it i got through it and it's a trip that we have um we have a unique calling in what we do and so sometimes we get called out on it and it calls into question are you sure about what you're doing are you sure you're fulfilling your purpose and when you can answer affirmatively yes then you can deal with whatever is affronting you and so I think we have some really perishable experiences with these children and families, meaning that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit in front of one of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think once it's gone, it's gone, and we have to make the most of those opportunities to get it right. And I'm speaking in circles, but I'm talking about when we make decisions at these meetings we sit in on, it has long-term implications. And neither one of us, I mean, you and I, we take that responsibility quite seriously. And I ain't playing. And so we have to approach it with that level of seriousness or else these kids will be harmed. So in essence, I do face my challenges as I go through my walk. But it's okay. I'm here. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. You know, uh, the world, of course, is stunned by the San Bernardino incident. And, of course, yeah. I work in the L.A. San Bernardino area. And uh, right. uh, there was loss of life. Uh, so it's, you know, a crisis that a lot of times people are not ready for. Right. Um, with that being said, um, I'm going to say some crazy things, okay, that people right. are kind of going to, you know, they're going to kind of back off when I say this. You know, sometimes we have conversations among our peers about tragic events, and ethnicity always comes up. And when you hear things like this, one of the reactions that you hear uh, black people say is, man, black folks don't do that. Or they don't go shoot people and and do that. Uh, White folks do that. Um, But I'm here to say that that's a, it's really a fallacy. It's it's not true. And the reason I want to bring that up, because the topic of the day is leadership, is because when you look at the world, there's certain things that uh, if, if really people are become sensitive and really take some binoculars and focus on really what's happening, it's a spiritual battle. One thing I do know, Rome, is that Hillary Clinton, she didn't get uh, nominated for president not because she was white. It's because she was a woman and because of her Democratic affiliation. They was tired. And it's interesting how they voted a man. Because it's a man-dominated world, okay? Black men are on the bottom of that totem pole, but so are women. Not just black women, but women. But when you add ethnicity, you ask the question, what I'm about to ask, where are the leaders? Now, I'm going to get a little deeper, and I'm going to go and say, I had a conversation with uh, someone today, very special to me, and we talked about leadership. And 
the conversation was kind of very deep in the sense that when we look at children, we look at all children. I know you do. You're I listening do. to exciting no matter what premium the content on KCWG, when you the truth.com. And you look at your own ethnicity, you go, what is happening to the black culture? What is happening to the culture or those cultures or those ethnicities that are in poverty? Uh, what about those cultures that are in uh, lack of education? So when you go and look at that, you have to take ethnicity and color out of it. But when you are in that culture, in that ethnicity, I know I grew up and I would always see, I would never see me on TV. And I would say, where's the leadership? I would always go to church and my mother was struggling. And there's times we couldn't pay bills. And I would go, where's the leadership? And I would go into the schools and, and go into the universities and I would never see me. Where's the leadership? Now, some people are asking, why is he saying that? This is why I'm saying that. I'm saying that it's not about also empowering black leadership. It's also about empowering white leadership. White leadership needs to come up so that can have some empathy on the other cultures. For example, slavery was not also supported by the Underground Railroad. It was also supported by white people that supported the Underground Railroad. My question is where are the other ethnicities that support justice? Where's the leaders? Where are the leaders today? Now, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, rulers, wickedness, and high places. So a lot of times when I see incidents and I see things that happen in crisis and people dying and getting shot, I have to really understand this factor here. I'm not looking at the people that are doing this. I'm looking at the spirit of the people. And I want to talk about that today before we have our guests. And I don't know what your reaction is, and I know you didn't know I was coming like this, but I got some things to say about spiritual leadership and natural leadership. I got some things to say about it. What do you think? Oh, we're going to talk about it tonight. Okay. And okay. the yes of San Bernardino, I have, when I saw what had happened, I was immediately thinking about you because I know you're in that area. And yeah. I have a friend that was about a block or two away from that incident a couple years ago when uh, it was deemed to be a terrorist attack. Okay. And the, the concerning thing today is that a lot of the news cycle has sort of um, – not giving it the same level of uh, attention. I mean, people are still talking about it, but not quite to the same degree that they were a couple years ago when it was labeled as a terrorist attack. And then it raised the question in certain circles as to what is it about African-American women's lives that warrants such a tempered or a, not, not a tapered down response. And I remember what you said with regard to that's not typical of a certain ethnic group. I remember the D.C. sniper. Remember the D.C. sniper? I remember the early... Absolutely. Absolutely. So I remember thinking people were getting picked off and shot. Some people were surviving, but he was picking <laughs> off left and right. And before they caught him, I just knew, or before they flashed... He was a white picture, boy, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, everybody was surprised. And nobody is above just kind of just snapping out and just losing it. But at that time, it, it was a surprise because we right. knew that for us to garner that kind of national attention, to be that 
random in the attacks at that time didn't seem to be indicative of our folks. Our folks have done some stuff, and we all know that, but that particular level of violence didn't really bespeak black folks from my memory. Right. And so I hear what you In today's um, incident with uh, the domestic violence, you know, what stood out for me was that where are the supports for women who try to leave uh, troubled relationships, and they can't. I mean, this was a, a, a victim, and she was an educator. Right. She you know? was. She was. woman was a school teacher, and, you know, our, our guest tonight is a school teacher. And so it, it, these kind of things, just like the Sandy Hook incident a few years ago, and in that incident, a school psychologist actually gave her life to protect those children. That's right. And so you would hope that there would be some compassion. And I hear what you're saying. You would hope that some compassionate voices would begin to emerge, even if you're on the side of uh, whatever side of the Second Amendment argument you're on. I always hope for some some reasonable compromise on some of that stuff. But I know how it is. Right. I get it. And people are completely intractable toward their own positions. I get it. But, okay, I, I, I can get on a soapbox, too. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, uh, when these kind of things happen, that argument always emerges, and it's coupled um, tragically with the fact that we've had a tragic loss of life from one of our own. I consider her to be one of our own um, in sort of um, in a dual kind of way. You know, she was African-American woman, obviously, and she was an educator. So the family took a hit this week. Family took a hit. And so I hope that you're right. I hope that we can emerge from this and somehow be able to uh, find the gravitas necessary in order to uh, pick ourselves up and, and be able to face down these issues that confront relationships that leave our women and children vulnerable and susceptible to these types of um, acts. Right. And I hope we learn a lesson from this. I really do. There's a lot to talk about on that. It, it really is. And I wanted to, before we take a break, man, I wanted to kind of break some things down and uh i want the guests to hear this before they come on and the the uh, audience that we have i want to kind of break some things down on what i and you can chime on at any time i wanted to throw some things about what i think leadership is and and i want to i want to be real and i want to be very transparent and how i i look at things i used to have some uh some quotes that made me think about leadership. For example, all money is not good money. Uh, it's not about who you know, but it's about who you know that likes you. It's not about a good leaders that we have, but effective leaders that we need. And as I, you know, write all these things down and I go through my head, I realize that there, for me, there are seven effective strategies or characteristics of a leader. And I'll be really, really interested in when your guest comes and she chimes on these. So I want to, I want to start, uh, and, and, and I want you to throw some stuff at me. Uh, the first thing that I look at being a leader is inspired action. And when I look at expired action, man, it means basically as we are people believers to do, to go get it. You inspired by God and you, you know, there's something that needs to be done. And so you go get it. That's one of the attributes of a leader. And I wanted to support that by this. In uh, James 1st chapter 22 verse through 25, it says, do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, it's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets who he looks like. And when I read that scripture, that's an NIV version, a lot of people don't take action. And do you know why? Because a lot of people are not inspired by God. They are inspired by self. And that's that's the first, is how do you take action? How, what do you inspire to take action? Um, the second one is optimism. Um, we cannot be pessimistic and looking at these children and looking at the world, we really have to, who's going to give us hope? Who's going to give us, who's going to give us that, that optimism then telling these kids all around the world, especially in the nations of the inner city that they have hope and that, you know what? There are some people out there that care about you. And the scripture that comes to mind is Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of times when I'm in meetings, it gets very, very uncomfortable because I do bring up God. And when I look at the parents there, the first I, there are times where I would go, are you a believer? And you could just see everybody's mouth drop. Like, wow, did you say that in a meeting? And the reason I say it is because a lot of times the parents or the grandparents will come in and they have no hope and they'll say, but God. And I go, oh, what about God? Are you a believer? Oh, yes, I am. I said, well, it's going to be all right because God sent you here today. And everything's going to be all right. There's a reason that you're here. And I tell you what, man, when I see their face, it's like, wow, are you serious? And it just makes me go, wow. It just really does. Another, so, so far I have an inspired action. Number two, I have being optimistic. The third one is, I think it's the huge one is having integrity. And I wanted to, in the scripture that, that supports that is Titus. The second chapter, seven through eight, it says, and this is the international NFV. In everything, set them. You're listening an to exciting premium content on KCWGTheTruth.com. Seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Now, I brought that up because a lot of leaders they always have scandals. There's there's always scandals. And they portray to have integrity, and they portray to do what's right. But some, a lot of these things are are supported by money and greed. Do you agree or you don't agree? I do. Okay. And so you look at these public uh, jobs, man, and down the line, oh, they took this money from the budget. They took this from the budget. Oh, uh, we have in the in in uh, in the news today how. Uh, there's people in Congress that have Congress that are asked to be in resign because they're they're womanizing, they're making her, uh, sexual harassment uh, statements to the women, and right. you wonder why the world is not getting better because they don't see the leaders, and that's why I say we have leaders, but we need leaders that are effective. You see what I'm saying? Even in the school system, we're in the school system. We both are in the school system. I, I'm everywhere. And I just sit back and I go, man, there's no integrity, man. And, and you wonder why we, we're in L.A. and there's road rage because we can't even allow our neighbor, our brother, to get over. We try to run him over. Man, in L.A. Right. back in the day, they would shoot you on the freeway, man, on the 110. 
I was one of the brothers that wanted to shoot somebody because <laughs> so crazy. But I had to really sit back and say, man, this is an epidemic because everybody's got an attitude that where's the character? Where's the support? Who's the leader? Who's going to be the grown up in this society? So, you know, you have guests coming on teaching other people how to be effective leaders. I definitely want to hear that. The next one is support your team. I look at the team and you have a team and I have a team. We all have different type of teams, but somebody is, everybody's not on the same team, my brother. And so um, I wanted to give a scripture for that. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, this is NIV, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love and each part does its work. When you're talking about the members of the body and you have one member that doesn't want to do this because it's not standing with you, he doesn't believe in you or she doesn't believe in you, you got a problem. For example, we were talking today about some things that happened in meetings. When I was in Illinois, and I think you can relate to this, um, I was the first black male psychologist in Quincy, Illinois. And they asked me to go to a Pacific school. That school was Washington uh, Elementary in Quincy, Illinois. And they had a problem with the young elementary black children. So everybody was pretty much like 98% white. And it, it did not serve the population. The population was kind of screwed up as far as teacher ratio to parent. So it's a black community, impoverished. I came in and I was really helping the kids. I'm not thinking about race. I'm just thinking, hey, I just need to help these kids and they happen to be black. Well, I was confronted by a teacher and says, I think you're racist. And I just laughed. That was funny to me. Why do you think I'm racist? Because you are helping all the black kids. And I just sat there and that, I didn't have to say anything. The director came back and reprimanded that teacher. And I realized that I was not working against the teacher, I was working against her spirit. Because based on effective leadership, when you have one bad seed, you have to correct that, remediate that, or put that out. Or it's not your team is not going to be effective. And I'd like to know what your guests think about that. Um, the next one is have confidence. Um, I think, you ever hear the expression wrong, that we have too much, we're overly confident? What do you think about that, being overly confident? Are they talking about a particular uh, group? Well, or you have people, in, and, and you know, when you're in a meeting and you're done with that meeting, you may have uh, a little gossip, and they said, "Man, what if they say Rome is just too overly confident?" What do you, what what do you what do you think about that? Because you have to have confidence in this field. Let's talk about you and I feel. We have to have we have to be very confident because you have to know what the administrator is doing. You have to know what the teachers are doing. You have to know what every we are the we are the glue, and we are trained to know what everybody's job description is and to flow in that. So when okay, to it, that point. Yeah, to that point. Yeah. Right. To that point, you, yeah, you definitely have to have your feet on the ground. But generally speaking, as a country, we're known for having a lot of hubris, man. <laughs> and to, to have such hubris, I mean, I think it's called American confidence. It's even associated to a nationality to where we have a lot of confidence in places and in ways in which it would surprise the rest of the world because we're, we're not at the top of the food chain when it comes to education. There's other countries, there are other countries that are excelling beyond us, but yet and still, uh, we have a confidence that 
doesn't really reflect our ability sometimes. And I think men tend to be more complicit in that regard compared to women, because women, when they show up, they actually come prepared. And the statistics show and support the fact that if they don't feel like they're ready 100% for a position or even 50 or 60% of a position that they're aspiring to, they may not even apply for the position, but a man will. Because there's a certain entitlement, I think, that men, that men feel, and I think it's also uh, indicative of this country in a lot of ways. And we have, and I think we have an image out there in the rest of the world of having a confidence that doesn't necessarily uh, jive well with what our actual capabilities are when you compare us to other countries throughout the, um, throughout the world who exceed us in so many ways. But we have a lot of pride, though. We do have a lot of pride. We do have our guests on the line. I know you uh, you got a couple more uh, leadership points you want to point to, but uh, while I have a second, uh, we do have coming in after the break, uh, we're going to have Ms. Rosalind Henderson. Okay, good. Uh, speaking of leadership, one of our um, specialists tonight. And I do have a confirmation. I think we're going to have Ms. Tina Lewis speaking sometime after that. Okay, so, well, let's, um, well, let's get to it, these last points. The last point, last- yeah, the last point is communication, which you do well. I think you're a very... Uh, I very I think you speak very well. You're very articulate. And uh well, thank you. I, yeah, I always appreciate you and uh uh the our producer pre- always appreciates Rome. Um a scripture that I think every leader needs needs to have the confidence in their communications. Colossians 4:6 mm-hmm. says let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I think you do that very, very well in your communication. You're very effective and you're very calm. And uh, and the last one is be decisive. Um, you, you, you know, let your yay be yay. Let your nay be nay. Uh, a right. double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, when I look at leader and they keep changing up, I'm scared. Mm. I got to back off on you because that's the first thing I do is what's your, where's your order? Where's your order? If you have no order, then you can't be very decisive, and your your yay, your communication is faulty. And now I got to look at your confidence, and then I got to check your integrity, and then I got to look at your team, and then I'm kind of, huh? I'm not optimistic now. I'm pessimistic now. I wonder, are you inspirational? I just broke down the whole seven strategies of effective leadership just like that right. when I look at a man. When I look at a leader, that's what I do automatically. I look at them seven qualities. With that being said, set. Let's take a break, man, and we're gonna bring them on. And I would love to hear what they have to say. All right, sounds good. All right, bro. Time for me to take my destiny in my hands. It's been one big adventure since then. I'ma be fine, divinely designed. My heart do the beating, but the blood ain't mine. My sense of time's intertwined deep with the great blacks. So standing in my corner ain't no way you can fake that. No way you can shake that. No way you can take that. I reckon that you pace back and learn to embrace that. I'm 
DJ Rome, are you here with me? Yes, yeah, Rush, great black playing in the background. Yes, sir. <laughs> I tell you what, man, why don't you introduce our guest? All right, I would love to. Hey, wonderful little uh, semi monologue you did this morning because it um, presents the perfect backdrop to who we're about to bring in right now. All right. Both of these ladies are very, very distinguished. And as an educational leader for 27 years, I'm talking about this first guest right here. The urgency of learning proven, learning proven self-care strategies was vital, responding to the unrealistic demands of her profession, constant panic attacks, energy drains, both physical and emotional, insomnia, and a sense of helplessness was leading Ms. Henderson to burnout. Okay. Learning principles from her mentors such as John Maxwell, Drs. Henry Cloud, and John Townsend, Ms. Henderson was learned or has learned how to do excellent work by first attending to her energy needs. And if you find your energy dipping, if you deal with constant illness, or if you have a to-do list that never includes you on it, then this interview right here is for you. Self-care to avoid burnout will share usable nuggets to keep you balanced and less stress. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Real Love, Real Talk Uncut, Miss Rosalind Henderson. Miss Henderson, are you there? I am here. What a wonderful intro. Absolutely. Good job, Rome. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't have written it better myself. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? That's oh, I'm fantastic today. Oh, awesome. Thanks very, for hanging in very there. Very fine. Yes. Well, I know you heard only a portion of the introduction tonight, so um, we're mm -hmm. probably going to have to fill you in as we go. So we're going to jump right in. If you could tell us, after 27 years on the job, my goodness, can you recap how you first became interested in education? What has kept you inspired? And where is your optimism today? How do we get here to this moment, Ms. Henderson? Awesome. Well, I, I tell you, I actually fell into teaching. I started off being an artist. I painted portraits um, and was very good at it. However, I unfortunately went through a divorce, and I had two young kids hanging on my um, ankles, and I said, I have to do something. Right. So I kind of fell into teaching. It roughly matched the hours of, um, you know, my kids were in school, and I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be there working with them um, in regards to homework and, and uh, whatnot. So that's how I ended up coming into the profession. Uh, but as time went on, I began to really see that I was indeed a teacher. A teacher. I loved it, uh, loved making a difference in kids' lives and in parents' lives sometimes, too. And so that, that's always something that has um, been in me but was laying dormant for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And you're with the primary level of kids. What inspired you to work with that level of educator? 
I think, and actually, I've taught a lot of different groups. Uh, love college, love working with all of the different groups. But there is a special imprint that I know that I'm leaving when I'm working with young kids, primary, uh, you know, the primary kids. And I think it is from zero to five is when their personalities are set. Mm-hmm. And I get to have right. some say not how their personalities are set. Hopefully, I'm thinking when they're 17 and 18 years old, they hear my voice. Miss Henderson's voice is still saying, do this, do that, <laughs> you know. And so to have that opportunity is is a heavy-duty opportunity is to set philosophy, is to set direction, is to hopefully um, train character a little bit uh, as you do teach. You do so much more than just simply teach. So I've always... Um, have well, I haven't always realized that, but I'm very mindful these days that when I'm in front of kids, that I am being um, imitated, that I'm a model for them, that um, and I need to take that very seriously, and I I do. Oh, it's a serious undertaking, and those are the formative years. And I used to study Dr. Juwanza Kunjufu, and he often talked about the fourth grade failure syndrome and how it's critical mm-hmm. if we're going to act on our young people's lives, we really need to start there because it's around about that time that the black boy in particular, he starts to emotionally and spiritually drop out. T. Russ talks about the spirit and God a lot. Yeah. And there's something that has the mind, heart, and spirit of a young boy when he is feeling like he's not uh, seeing anyone that he can emulate. And so that creates a lot of disproportionality in just the perception of that young boy with regard to his potential. And you work a whole lot with the potential of uh, not only the students but of the educators. Um, you talk about burnout. And mm-hmm. at, this, at this time of the year, aren't you on spring break right now? Most definitely, yes, I am. <laughs> Enjoying every moment of it. <laughs> oh, right. yes. Tell me. Hey, Russ, you, you just had spring break too, right? Yeah, I need to get back on. I need to get back on spring break. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was down in California. Ms. Henderson, we used to call these days the dog days because it was at this point, I don't know if we're going to want to call it the uh, the seventh inning stretch of a nine-inning baseball game where you're, just, you, you're, you're heading, you're kind of rounding third and heading for home. I don't know if it's too soon to call it the seventh inning stretch, but people are tired at this stage of the year because at this point you've dealt with yes. behaviors, parents, you've dealt with homework and conferences and grade books, and now you're coming up on assessments, state tests, and you know how yes. high stakes books. So uh, what are some of the strategies that you use with clients to help them avoid burnout, especially during this time of the year? Well, you know, I think it's a whole um, teacher culture that I'm really uh, attempting to do my little part in changing. Uh, So many of us teachers uh, love teaching, we love educating, and we go with the fast pace. It's a very urgent, fast-paced uh, setting in education. There's always five balls to throw up in the air. We're always multitasking. And it's to our own demise. If you're doing that for years, it's to your own demise. And so some of the strategies that, um, and you know, I'll just share a few, is just simple things. And they're simple things, but they're hard to do. Because um, one thing I have had to learn is to be intentional about self-care. Self-care just doesn't happen. You know, we just can't think necessarily just good thoughts and, and let you – know, we have to monitor ourselves. We have to really put the, the dipstick in, in our, our emotions and see where am I emotionally? Where am I in terms of my physical health? Um, we tend to always say yes. 
Yes, you know, uh, I'll sit on that. I'll sit on that committee, even though you're sitting on five others. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it's the culture of, of being a teacher that you know I'm trying to shift a little bit uh, because what's happening is that you, there's an epidemic happening amongst teachers, and it's silent. You're not going to probably see it in the newspaper, the media, mm-hmm. but teachers are burning out. And when I'm saying that they're de- dealing with insomnia or um, perhaps their their immune systems are constantly down, they're constantly sick or depression. Um, some of them are just ticking off days, waiting for you know the retirement to come. So these these are serious uh, issues. It's, it's about. Um, quality of life issues, not to even mention physical and emotional drains that um, eventually just wreaks havoc. And um, I've had to learn myself early on as a teacher. I was remember being 27, 28 years old and being a typical teacher, giving it all, mm-hmm. staying late, not, uh, uh, unable to say no, wanting to please. Everybody had to be happy. That meant administration, parents, and the kids if I could help it. That means, you know, constantly moving. And what happened was that I had a panic attack. Mm. I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time at 27. I was in the middle of my class, and I did indeed have a class from hell with 32 students (laughs) who were very rambunctious and very physical with each other. I'm in the middle of a lesson, and I thought I was having a heart heart attack. I'm I'm sweating. I'm shaking. uh, My heart is beating out of my chest. Uh, I asked that the ambulance come and whisk me away, and they did. Hey, the doctor found nothing wrong. And this happened three times, three separate times. And I remember the third doctor finally saying to me, you have got to learn how to deal with stress. Mm. And I think that was the seed that was planted in the ground that really has turned into a a mission of mine to help teachers remain balanced um, as much as possible as we're going through this, this maze. And teaching. So that's how that began. And um, I've had to train myself. Uh, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Uh, sometimes I would have to role play when I, when I had to stand up and say no. Right. And that's a word that teachers don't understand that word, no. <laughs> but, you know, there's some things that we we have to say no to. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it actually... Setting boundaries, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry for cutting. That, that's what that essentially it, is, right? It, Just setting boundaries. It, it is. You can look at yourself. If you see yourself as a person maybe uh, with a fence around you and you have a gate, that gate mm-hmm. allows certain things into your life or you can close off certain things in your life. I guess the trick is understanding and learning what to open your gate to <laughs> and what to close your gate uh, to. And sometimes we get it confused. We're saying yes to those things that are maybe unhealthy, whether whether it's coping strategies like overeating. I tend to be uh, I tend to be an emotional eater when I'm under a lot of stress. And oh my God, it's the grade books and the, and the kids are coming in and it's, and they're squirrely. It's almost springtime, but then I go to a Twinkie <laughs> <laughs> to kind of pacify myself. I used to go to a Twinkie, <laughs> well, you know. Your intervention plan, some Twinkie therapy, brother. Twinkie therapy, that's cute. I, I got a question. That is, Ms. And, 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 and that works for for a good 30 minutes, and then I'll, now I have two problems. I'm under stress, and now I'm five pounds overweight. Because of the Twinkies. Uh, at least hungry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm hungry. Yeah. But I have a question, Miss <laughs> Henderson. Uh, as T. Russ, uh, uh, hats go all off with you know your 27 years 
But I got a question. I, I graduated in 83 in high school. And back in the day, um, our community, uh, you know, they we were able to say to the parents in our community, your child is acting up. And we were able mm-hmm. to uh, call other parents. Today, it's, it's almost like taboo to say anything to a parent about their child. How do you deal with the stress and the and the that itch where you have to talk to these parents? It's babies having babies, and it's a different generation, mm-hmm. and they think they're grown. How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, it's it's amazing to me. My mouth sometimes falls to the ground even now that some of the second graders, some not not all, not the, the majority, but a number of second graders will come in my room and they're cursing like sailors. Right. Or they're already very physical. They're hitting and, and trying to uh, hurt people in class. Okay. And this is just me, maybe because I hit 50 years old a while ago. Okay. I'm just very honest. I don't label behavior. I don't try to put a label on the behavior, okay. but I'm very quick to address issues and describe behavior. And I'm very quick to say, if it's a, and if it's a problem, ongoing issue, let's put a plan together to get this under control okay. or let's see what see what services are available let's so i want to be an advocate for change and supporting that child as much as possible okay uh now there is, the vast majority of parents are uh mostly amendable are mostly agreeable for the most part but there are times when the difficulty comes in where you're asking to help that child and the parent wants to help them less than I do. Okay. You know, yeah. I'm really I'm really trying to help that child. I'm trying to see and you know, and usually that happens at least at least once a year where I have uh, a parent resisting really getting down to the brass tacks of what's going on with their child and why is their child so angry and he's just a second grader. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um running out the classroom, um slamming doors when I just said, please take a seat. That's all I said to them. Take a seat. Okay. <laughs> and awesome. You know, so um, for me, I think being straightforward and honest and showing my sincerity is the way I do it. Okay. Uh, I am about solutions. And what I find is that if a parent dislikes the pressure that I'm putting on them for a solution, what usually happens is they'll get up and go, uh, I need another teacher. Right, right. Because right. there's another second grade teacher that my kid can, can have, or I'll leave the school. Uh, so I really try to put it back in the parent's lap. What's parenting needs to be put back in the parent's lap. What's teaching needs to be in my lap. So, and the okay. problem in teaching oftentimes is that roles are mixed, are so mixed, so overlapped. Teachers are so confused about what they should be towards the, the, the child that's standing in front of them, that it, I think it does cause cause additional burnout. I've had, had to learn boundaries in terms of this is not my child. But while this child is here, I'm going to give them all I can from an intellectual, academic perspective. I'm going to give it to them. So with that, but, be, so with that, so I have to cut you out. So with that being said, when you talk about effective leadership, of course, you're going to have to deal with the admin. And mm-hmm. did, have you ever had issues with the admin where they – you have to get them on your team or you would have to buck against that system and say, listen, uh, this is how I run my class. This is the structure I have. Have you had any 
downsides about that, or has it been pretty easy for you within your career dealing with admin? It depends. Uh, it depends uh, on what principle you're under okay. and the administration that you're under, okay. and what. And this is just me. This is just me in this particular district that I'm in. Okay. Uh, is if they feel they can manipulate <laughs> and get much, much, much more out of you because you're a yes person. If they can pull the wool over your then they will. On the other hand, uh, when you say, look, I understand our contract like the back of my hand. Therefore, policy 1A says, so principal, um, excuse me, <laughs> I'm going to stand on policy 1A here. When they know that you know who you are, then it, 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 it's uh, usually you get the respect and they tend to back off. Um, I try to make sure that I pick my you know battles. I just don't go around being contrary. Okay. I'm usually saying um, I'm really speaking up about things that are seriously getting in the way of that of a child learning, or if it's a safety issue, there are safety issues at the school. We, we know we're in an unsafe working environment. A lot of teachers are, and I think that's not great for myself nor the kids. And so sometimes I speak up and, and do things independently on my own. For instance, I thought it was important for the kids to have an earthquake pack or kit. Uh, I know that when my kids were little, that was something that we parents had to put together for the kid, the, the, the child. And so you had, you know, food, fruit roll-up, water, things like that, in case there is an earthquake. Well, that wasn't something that the school provided. Nobody talked about it or thought it was important, but I did. So I made sure that, that all parents participated in, in providing an earthquake kit for their child in my room. Awesome. And let me ask you, I have one last question, and I think Rome does also. What would you tell new teachers that, as far as effective leadership, how to come in and what to prepare themselves for if they want this uh, profession and they want to be very successful? What are some other things that you could prepare them for or maybe they can kind of do their due diligence before they come? What, what, I, what I find is that young teachers need ongoing mentorship. Okay. Sometimes there is uh, a program and then all of a sudden the program disappears sometimes where they get that mentorship. But one thing I did as I was trying to learn how to be a teacher is I grabbed on. To veteran teachers. I, I would just go to them and say, can I bounce this off you? Will you sit and listen to me? You need that, that support among your colleagues. That's so important. And the next thing I would suggest is while they're learning all of the methodologies for teaching and all the, the, the state rules and regulations that they do understand, have a good firm grip on being able to, to take care of themselves and to put boundaries on a lot of things. For instance, uh, finances. I was talking to a teacher who had retired but was forced back into the classroom. She was doing um, a subbing. She was subbing in a wheelchair. And, and I said, what advice would you give me as someone who's beginning to think about retirement uh, as you're you know, already retired? She said, I would put boundaries around my finances, hmm. meaning that so many of us teachers, because there's a lack of supplies, in, you know, we will come out of pocket immediately, oftentimes, buying supplies because we, we want to do a cute art project or we just think this, is, this project is necessary to, to the education uh, of our students. 
But you do that long enough, over 30 years, then this is why this uh, lady was subbing in a wheelchair. She couldn't make ends meet. She said, I, she told me I would keep, I would be a lot more selective in how I spent money for the students. And I took that uh, to heart. Um, so when I say the word no, uh, I'm saying we have to be someone who is always observing ourselves, you know, and seeing where do I need to put a boundary around myself. Sometimes, you know, I realize that uh, no may mean that I have to stand on a value that I think is very, very important. Safety is very, very important to me as a teacher. So uh, there was an incident where our bathrooms were atrocious. For some reason, the, the, the principal was unable to get the janitors to do their job. You open the, the door. I don't want to gross you out, but it was uh, you, you're coughing when you open the, the bathroom door to the boys' bathroom, to the girls' bathroom. Mm-hmm. I thought, thought that was an absolute, I thought that was squalor. Mm-hmm. And I felt the inner, inner city kids deserved more. Right. This right. went on for many, many months. And so a, a, a collection of teachers, we definitely got together, and we began demanding that whatever the issue was, get the janitor under control so that those bathrooms are functional. Mm-hmm. And after some time, you know, um, and I was one of the ones who, were just, who was really pressing for that, in time, it got better. It got better. But things like that, um, you know, that are value-driven, you know, sometimes we have to say uh, we have to be uncomfortable and stand on the values. And this is a big value that I just can't turn my head uh, to. I just can't pretend like those bathrooms didn't exist, you know. The students were coming to me, and except some of them were honestly saying, Ms. Henderson, I'll hold it. I can't. (laughs) It's just very horrible in here. Well, you're you're speaking very real, and unfortunately, a lot of our students uh, have to make some really tough decisions when it comes to their bladder sometimes, and that seems to be a trait that's indicative of inner city schools. I have a lot more questions I wanted to ask you, but I I think I have time for one more before we take a break and bring in our next guest. Uh, you really are passionate about teaching people how to manage their stress and mastering stress so that they don't get to that brink of burnout. Uh, can you talk about exactly. that a little bit? Um, you you well, talked the, the, the about formula, you pretty exclusive uh, something that you got going on. What, what you got coming up? Uh, that, that's something that I, I do teach on two, twice a year. I have a special retreat, retreat for anyone who is into the helping professions and especially teachers. And it's, it's called self-care to avoid burnout. And we teach principals. My son, uh, Dr. Email, is an emergency doctor. So he handles the, the physical uh, aspects of stress. And I talk about emotional exhaustion. And we make it a really fantastic affair. It's in a nice, posh hotel. They get breakfast. We have a comedian, good live music. And it's a place where I want to celebrate the teacher, number one, because celebration happens infrequently. And then number two, I want them to walk away with some knowledge that they can implement immediately to start observing themselves and seeing where they need to put their self, uh, how to put their self-care plan in action. That's awesome. And you know what? It's needed because we have a lot of new teachers that come and are affronted with those initial challenges just as a byproduct of their first year, and they've become really discouraged. Yeah. So we could really use some conferences like this. So how do we reach out to you, and how, the, how can they find out more about this so that they can uh, come and check this out? 
Well, one thing I'm doing this upcoming Monday, uh, which I think is the 17th, 6 to 7, it's free. I'm going to do a teleconference on uh, self-care to avoid burnout, just to give a little bit more in-depth information about techniques and tools that that teachers or anybody in the helping professions could use to um, always stay maintained, you know, just to to maintain that balance. And so I'm going to be doing that. So what I'm asking asking the audience to do is just simply just email me. Uh, You can email me at Rosalind, R-O-S-A-L-I-N-D, Henderson, H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N-1, the digit one, at gmail.com, and just simply put in the subject uh, line, avoid burnout. And I'm just going to then out from there. I'll just send the information about how to connect to the teleconference. That's Monday, the 17th, six to seven. Oh, Pacific Standard Time. Oh, absolutely. We don't want them chiming in in New York and find out that the show's already done, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Rosalind but I might make it available on Facebook also. Rosalind Henderson one at gmail dot com. Put in the subject line "Avoid Burnout." That's Monday, the 17th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Do I have that right? You have it right. Okay, fantastic. Hey, Miss Henderson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Awesome, T-Rush. awesome. Thank you very much. Yes, You're indeed. surely welcome. You're surely welcome. Thank you. Um, we, we really appreciate your services out there, and we have coming up another guest that's going to be piggybacking on what we've been covering tonight. Yes, sir. So if you could um, stand by, and uh, we're going to take it to yes, a break. Truth.com. The name of the program is called Real Love, Real Talk, Uncut. Yes, we'll sir. be right back. This. Yes, sir. And to anybody, yeah. A husband is in night. Ooh, ooh. And by fire lights. And you put your eyes looking at me so bright. Ooh, ooh. And come your one delight. Ooh, ooh. Love me spinning, spinning out. Listening to exciting premium content on KCWG. You're listening to exciting premium content on KCWGTheTruth.com. Yeah. 
We're back. I hope you enjoyed that joint. Oh, man, real love, real talk uncut. I am so happy that I got my boy DJ Rome right here. Man, I couldn't do the show without you, man. You are the articulate right. one. <laughs> oh, please, man. You are the fluent one. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I can... I can say some words in Spanish and other languages, but I'm not articulate. So there's there's different gifts that people have, and yeah. you have master gift of storytelling and fluidity and fluency. You do have that. There is a distinction between um, fluent as well as articulate. I think they're a talent that bespeaks the both of us, and that's why we work so well together, my brother. Yes, we do. And the one thing I will say is that uh, we real, and that's why we had the show. And I want you to uh, introduce, man, this extraordinary guest that we have. Uh, oh. Absolutely. Extraordinary is the right word. Ladies and gentlemen, this young lady is a former classmate of mine many, many years ago. We actually worked in the care correspondent section of uh, a company many, many years ago. And uh, since then, social media, you know, T. Russ has a way of sort of reuniting people after we, you know, go our separate ways and go through our respective paths in life. And she's gone on to uh, pursue education. She's gone on to pursue multiple levels of success with her ventures into multi-level marketing. She has soared right to the top of several uh, distinguished uh, multi-level marketing companies, and now she's focused not only on uh, graduating her daughter, which I'm very excited about for her, but she wants to work with little girls and young ladies in terms of training them to close sales in a way in which they get respect in the corporate world. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Real Love, Real Talk Uncut, Miss Tina D. Lewis. Miss Lewis, are you there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Rome. I wouldn't be anywhere else on this a lovely, uh, I guess, Thursday evening, but with you two, the articulate one and the fluent one. <laughs> How are you doing? That's a good brother over there, the fluent one. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Miss Lewis. It's a pleasure to have you here, and we have about a few minutes left, but I think we can cover some ground while we're here. So can you briefly tell us about what your experience has been with the, uh, the success you had in terms of being a top-level recruiter in just about everything you've ever attempted to embark upon? Uh, tell us briefly about your um, career and where you're heading as we stand right here today. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, it's really an honor to be on the phone and on this show with two phenomenal men that are leading the way. They're following their dreams, and that's exactly what I encourage each and every one of you that are listening to the sound of my voice. My name is Tina D. Lewis. I actually am a, a PA, a physician assistant by trade. I graduated from, yes, the USC Keck School of Medicine. I am a proud Trojan. And get this, I was on a full academic scholarship. So it's really not about uh, me being smart or being brilliant because I, I knew that that was my only way out. That was my only way out, you know. Uh, where I'm from, you literally either end up dead or in jail or in a gang or, uh, you know, promiscuous um, being out um, in, you know, the inner cities, uh, the ghettos, if you will. And all I can tell you is that education, our parents has always shared with us, is that that's the one thing that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, that you can always have that cannot be taken away. No one can take your mind. No one can take your creativeness. No one can take your imagination. Uh, no one can take your dreams. You know, you have to allow them to fill your dreams. And so, Rome, for me, 
I knew that education, I wanted education and I wanted to be successful. And for me, the best way to reach success was through the hands of education. Wow. Mm. Awesome. You're listening to exciting premium content on KCWGTheTruth.com. Who are some of the leaders and mentors that gave you the insight and inspiration to have this vision that you have? Well, the reality is I have to be totally transparent, and I cannot recall one particular uh, person that I followed or that I admired. I can just tell you, um, I believe that just from birth, in my humble opinion, I had an an innate ability to succeed. And contrast to uh, most people want, you know, uh, people to pick one person or say this person, you know, was my mentor. They coached me. They molded me. But I'm going to – I totally uh, believe the opposite um, in, in contrast to popular belief, not only do you have a mentor showing you what's the right thing to do, you have a plethora of people showing you what's the wrong thing to do. And somewhere down the line, you make a decision that you do not want to end up like that. So you don't do the things that they did or that they currently do. It doesn't have to be that one person, you know, that you see on TV or that athlete or that entertainer showing you the lifestyle it can be someone showing you a lifestyle that you know for a fact that you want absolutely no part of, absolutely mm. no part of. <laughs> and so you just strive to have more, to be more, and to do more. It takes a village. And so it's a, a mirror It's a, a numerous of people who I saw that I did not want to live like, and I did what I had to do to make sure, you know, there's a saying that I would do what others won't so I can live and have the lifestyle like others don't. Mm. Okay. I like that. I, I like that, too. And I totally agree because I often have said on the radio that I helped raise my nephew. And one of the things that surprised me about him is that he was inspired to be the man that he is today, not just from his direct mentorship from me, but from what he did not get from his own biological father. And so he set out just from seeing the two of us in contrasting ways. He wanted to outdo his father. So he is a committed husband. He's a committed father. And so I believe that that's really important when you talk about saving our children from being so susceptible to the temptations out there. And I think a lot of young men and young women in particular kind of lose their way. And with regard to young women, uh, you're very inspired to work with them. What is this about uh, closing sales in the uh, the business world, in stilettos? I remember we were talking about that the other day. Can you tell us a little bit more about that movement? (laughs) It's a program that I have, and it's called Sales in Stilettos. And it literally teaches women, women, you know, that are in sales, that will love to be a part of sales, that are at the hot, you know, the, their uh, height in their career in sales, or people who are just, you know, afraid of sales and have absolutely no idea what it is. Um, I believe that sales is has created more millionaires than any other company. If it's real estate, it's sales. If it's stocks, it's, it's a, you're a salesman if you're a stockbroker. If you're a physician, you sell your services because people want to go to a physician that is highly educated, that have a record. They know what, they do, what they're doing. People go to people who are charismatic, people who are influential, people who have that command presence. And so it's all about ourselves. We sell ourselves in relationship to our husband, to our fiancés, to our boyfriends. And, you know, we sell ourselves Period. The bottom line is the world is wrapped around sales. Sales move the economy, whether you're male or female. And what I found, and statistics show that most women, they want to compete with men. Um, And I say, you don't have to do that. Be comfortable in your own skin. You don't have to wear slacks or navy blue (laughs) or penny loafers or flats 
to be considered mm-hmm. for the next job or to crush sales. Be comfortable in your own skin, wear your heels, embrace your femininity. But there's so many things that you can do. And I, I will save that in case someone wants to know, you know, about the program. I'll save that for later. But, um, Ron, right. as you mentioned, it's not just about, you know, the sales and the relationships. And it's, it's, it stems from this building instant rapport. You have to build rapport with people. People do only buy from people they know, they like, and they trust. Mm. That's just Mm. statistics across the board. Numbers don't lie, but people do. So people do business with people they know, they like, or they trust. And in order for you to sell someone, you have to build one of those instantly because you don't have a lot of time, right? And so I I totally teach them that skill set. (laughs) Totally teach them that skill set. And not only about young girls. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but how do you teach them to be taken seriously? Because if a woman is very forward in the pursuit of a transaction, not trying to do anything except do her job, men tend to belittle her or not take her seriously. So what do you teach them in order to make sure that they're presenting themselves in a way in which people will take them seriously? Well, you know what? Honestly, and I'm probably the wrong woman to ask for that question because I believe that men do take women seriously. I, I, there is, I do not feel that, you know, they don't. And I believe for someone else to take a woman seriously, she has to take herself seriously. And so it all comes with posture, not the way you stand, not the way you sit, but posture, the way you carry yourself, your attitude, because your attitude dictates your altitude. And if I have more time, I'll show you how it's, how it's numerical, how your attitude equals your altitude. It's, it's numbers. It, it, they add up equally. But for a woman to believe that she is as good as she can be, it comes with confidence. How you, to get, how you get confidence? By being competent. You know, That's right. <laughs> the reality is if you know your job, if you know what your mission is, your mission statement, if you're operating in your gift zone and your talent, if you're operating with your passion, you don't have to have anyone take you serious. Because you will become the hunter and not the hunted. You will become the hunted and not the hunter. Most people in sales, including men, you know, they're the hunter. They're looking for someone to sell to. But when you have the right posture, when you're competent, you become the hunted. People are looking for you. You know what? I want to do business with such and such. And so they'll seek you out. You won't have to go find them. And so it really, really puts you back in control of your business. So I got a question real quick, Rome. I'm sorry. I I, I need to be on your team. Exactly. <laughs> I tell you what, your your terminology is exactly what I use, and I'm and the reason I'm not saying anything. I'm blown away. I'm sitting back. I'm like, wow, wow. You're very awesome. inspired. Very awesome. ins- I like that. I like. Let me ask you a question. Tell me, sure. t- tell tell me what your average day is. Your average hard day. What does that look like? Okay, you said my average hard day. Yes. My average day is not hard. I can tell you what a day is, my leisure day, and I can tell you when I'm all out, massive action, laser focused on my goal. I can give you those two disparities if you would like. Absolutely. My average day is I wake up, I go to the gym, I, you know, uh, answer my text messages, my emails, I have lunch on the beach. I make phone calls. Awesome. <laughs> I make You're phone listening calls to exciting to premium content <laughs> on KC. You're listening to exciting premium content on KCWG. For example, I just 
went to the USC alumni. They had an event, and I went because I like to network. You know, I like to build my network because my net my network is my net worth. Mm. And some people don't get that, <laughs> but they will get it soon. So a hard day for me is I wake up, I go to the gym, I come back, I eat breakfast, I block out four hours. You know, I make calls, I do my social media posting because I, I'm building not just my brand, but the brand of my team. And I teach them how to think outside, not the box, but just to think outside of themselves because there is no box. <laughs> there is no box that was created. It's a term. I don't know where it came from, but we have to think outside of ourselves. Right. And I show people how to build a business, a brand outside of their local area. And so if you have social media, oftentimes people are scrolling through Facebook, through Snapchat, through Instagram and Twitter. Just Their thumb is just constantly going and they're picking up whatever is there. I want them to purposefully be on Facebook. If you're going to be there, you might as well get paid to be there. So let me show you how to build your brand, not a company, not a product, not a service, but build you. So no matter what you do, people will want to do business with you. You know, I have teams in North Carolina, in D.C., in Baltimore, in Texas, in Japan. I don't live in any of those cities, but I leverage technology. And, and I just actually just invested in a technology company and, uh, it's totally limitless. It just launched in the United States, and I love the fact that I'm positioned first. So, uh, Rome, back over to you. Okay, we're going to have to do lunch. We're doing lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. Hey, That's I, awesome. I'm a big girl. And, look, I'm a big girl in a little girl's body, so I love to eat. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. I know we got a couple minutes, Rome. Uh, take us out. and I, I want to know what your ideas are because she said a lot. She said a whole lot of oh, ideas. Man. Uh, oh, man. This Lewis. Uh, we want to thank you for coming by. We're going to have to have you come back one day when Got we to. have more time to just to. elaborate and expand on some of these ideas that you're embarking. I mean, you're touching upon some great things, and I would like to hear you go further because I know that the average salesperson can benefit from spending time with you and getting an opportunity to experience your wisdom and insight. And after having done that, they won't be average anymore because I know these companies are coming for you, and I know that they seek you out now. Absolutely. You've gotten to a place in your career to where you are known. You are a commodity in the industry, and I would love for us to be able to speak to you again to help us get the word out about how you are able to train these people up in essence, to just sort of duplicate what you do. You're very inspiring. How do we reach out to you? Where can we find you on social media? Awesome. I'm going to give you my handles. Rome, is it okay if I just leave with two things before I give that? Yes, please. Is that possible? Okay, the first thing is I want to, um, in regards to them being, I want people to realize that they are their greatest asset. Most people are focused on growing their business, but don't focus on growing your business. Focus on growing yourself and growing your people because you don't grow a business. You grow people and people grow your business. And number two, I just want to let you know that no matter what your goals are, no matter, you know, what obstacles you face, no matter where you are in your life right now, you can be broke living in your car with zero cents in the bank. You could be sitting and living on a house on the hill, driving the car of your dreams, highly educated. The reality is, remember, what goes up must come down. And it's your job, if you're sitting on top of the hill, to reach back into your community. Do not forget where you came from and give someone a hand up. Not a handout, but a hand up. And to the rest of us, I want you guys to know that you are one in 600 million. One in 600 million. It's science. 
It is science. And we're all adults listening. I'm going to use a medical terminology, and it's called sperm. 600 million sperm was laid somewhere, and they had to race through a toxic environment that was not conducive to their growth. And you are that one in 600 million that made it. You have a purpose, and you have been commissioned to go out and change the world. You have been commissioned to go out and change the world. You cannot go back and start a new beginning. But guess what, my friends? You can start from today, right now, at this very moment, and create a new ending. Awesome. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Stuck the landing, too. How can we reach you, though? Is there a way we can find you on social media? Absolutely. You can find me. All of my handles are the same. It's Tina, T-I-N-A. Middle initial is D, and that stands for Diva. (laughs) And the last name is Lewis. So it's Tina, T-I-N-A-D-L-E-W-I-S. You can Google me. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram as well. And thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for your time, for tuning in. And I'm going to challenge you before I go. I'm challenging each and every one of you to plug in, dial in to this show. But here is where the real challenging part come in. I want you to text, email blast, share, talk, refer as many people to this talk show, this radio show, this phenomenal platform that's being used to uplift, to inspire, and to empower. So I want you guys to make sure that they stay on the air. I want you to I want to make sure that you increase the people that are listening, that you share this knowledge. It's not for you to keep, okay? God only gives it to you if he can get it through you. So let's pack these lines out. Let's be here at the same time, you know, every Thursday, I'm assuming, Rome, every Thursday or every day. Is <laughs> it every Thursday or every, every day? Thursday. Every Thursday. Every Thursday. Okay, good. Every Thursday. I'm challenging you guys to meet me here. I will be here. I'm going to start plugging people in. It is our job to make sure that our businesses thrive and survive. So, Rome, thank you for having me. Back over to you. Oh, my goodness. I'm blushing. I'm turning bursty in the Gotta go. We went over time. T Russ. Hey, I, hey, I'm out of breath, man. She did it. She did it. She's awesome. I think we toss it. Hey, we gotta uh, toss it. Yeah, we gotta do it. But I, I appreciate you coming out, Miss Lewis. Uh, we're gonna have to hook up with you, do lunch, and just uh, give back to you. You listen to Real Love, Real Talk, Uncut. This is it, uh, Miss Lewis. She definitely inspirational and awesome. Yes. Uh, and I like to thank Rosalind Henderson as well. Thank absolutely. You very much. Absolutely. Be sure to check on the Real Love, Real Talk Uncut Facebook page, T. Russ. Hey, I think man. we gotta go. We gotta go, man. One love, family. We'll be back. But are you open? How will you listen? simple questions like And concerns can turn into frustration. I just hope in time that you'll come through the You just listened to an exclusive KCWGTheTruth.com program on our subscription premium content channel. Thank you again for your support of KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio on the planet.